episode 150. Is it possible for a payer to improve their star ratings using MTM, medication therapy management? Today, I speak with Lisa Irwin, who is an expert in such matters over at Aventria Health Group. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Medicare plans in this country need to achieve star ratings for financial and other reasons. CMS uses these so-called star ratings to measure how well Medicare Advantage and Part D plans perform. There's a few main categories of star ratings, including quality of care and customer service. Ratings range from one to five stars, with five being the highest. Then there's MTM, Medication Therapy Management, which is part of the Comprehensive Medication Management star rating. This is the idea that a Medicare plan gets pharmacists to counsel patients and do other things to help patients get the right drugs or combination of drugs to improve their outcomes. Do some MTM, get higher comprehensive medication management scores. Sounds like it's not that complicated, right? Unsurprisingly, for anyone in the healthcare industry, it's a logistical, economic, and kind of clinical hairball. Lisa Irwin explains. Lisa is an expert in such matters, working with us here at Aventria Health Group. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Lisa. Thank you so much, Stacey. It's wonderful to be here. Let's talk about MTM, medication therapy management, a term I have not heard for like three years. And then all of a sudden, it's on the tip of many people's tongue. So so let's start out with this. What is MTM? Why is it resurging? Well, in its, its sort of purest form, MTM is a type of care that's provided by pharmacists and The aim is really to optimize drug therapy and improve outcomes for patients. This is a common definition that was adopted early in the 2000s and includes and and dovetails onto a lot of the work around pharmaceutical care uh, that was done in, in the 80s and 90s to really bring pharmacists to the forefront of not just dispensing, but providing sort of on the ground face-to-face consultation with patients about the medications that they're taking. Medication therapy management can include a whole host of activities ranging from engaging with the patients on the retail end of things in pharmacies all the way to hands-on hospital monitoring and everything in between. So it can be very sort of logistical all the way to really, you know, hands-on comprehensive patient care. So that means like medication reconciliation or counseling someone about how to use their diabetes medication on the engagement side. And then on the hospital side, it sounds like it's a little bit more behind the scenes. Yes, or you can all the way to giving somebody their marching orders when they're discharged from the hospital. Uh, So it's really a very broad definition, and I'm sure we're going to get into this a little bit later, but it was refined when it became a CMS mandate, a Center for Medicare Services mandate for the Medicare Advantage program in the last 
eight, nine, ten years to have a very defined set of rules that are managed by the government for people uh, receiving fee-for-service Medicare. So it was my understanding that despite that mandate, it never really worked because nobody could figure out how to get paid. In other words, if I'm a pharmacist and, and I'm on the ground and I spend a half an hour doing a med rec for somebody or whatnot, I would have to like find the right form and submit it to the right place. And it was just such an arduous, almost impossible process that it didn't happen. Well, it, it, it is happening to a limited degree today. And it is an arduous process. And there are codes. The arduous part of that is these things called CPT codes that you're billing the government for services that, that may or may not qualify to be paid for under a very arduous set of rules. The Medicare Part D plans are paying for MTM and they're paying for it because of this mandate. I mean, because it's being measured and because there are rules and sort of goalposts set around achieving a pull-through on uh, something called comprehensive medication review, which is a core uh, component of CMS-mandated MTM. So it's kind of on both ends of the spectrum. No one's getting like rich off of this <laughs> as of yet, if you're a pharmacist, but there is there are ways to get get it paid for. Where I think the other more difficult hurdles are is just the day-to-day activity around performing sort of subsets of MTM, just solving a medication problem or counseling a patient or improving adherence. Those things can be increasingly challenging activities to get paid for because they're sort of one-offs if you think about it. They're a conversation, they're a call to a doctor, that sort of thing. And therefore, you know, so I make a call to a doctor, I got to remember, oh, boy, I got to write this down and send in the form and then make sure I get paid. Well, and then you're working for somebody else. So who gets paid? Right. So if you're in a retail pharmacy and you're doing that, where does that end up and where does that get captured? So I, I think there are those that would argue that those are the that's the job of a pharmacist, right, to do those activities to make sure that the disposition of that medication to a patient is not only correct, but that it doesn't cause untoward side effects or that it doesn't cause problems down the road. Or answering those questions is part of the job of a pharmacist. So there are all those blurred lines, too, that don't help in the reimbursement discussion. It sounds like if you are working for a pharmacy that has managed or an institution or an organization maybe, who has managed to figure out how to handle the logistics of this whole thing and incent properly and whatnot, you might be kind of slogging along with medication management or doing it at some level is probably a better way to put it, but it hasn't really taken off like a rocket. So there's just a couple of different categories of things we're talking about. And, And one is just, it's the act of, as I defined it earlier, of optimizing drug therapy. And is the job of every pharmacist and how to do that. But th- but there's there's also this mandate. And let's just stick with the mandated part of it for now. The mandated part of it that CMS says you have to do this if you're a Part D plan as part of your core function. Well, we're not going to pay you for it. I mean, it's an unfunded mandate, but it's a mandate. 
it, it's measured by CMS in terms of how many people you have enrolled in your program. It's measured by how many you actually do a consultation with. But it, and it's also measured in, in a very sort of unstructured way what happens as a result of those interventions. So what we would call maybe an outcome. And there are, I don't know how many different categories of outcomes that are measured. But that is where I think the stall has come from. No one has figured out how to measure the outcome to prove its value in a broad way. I'm not saying that there haven't been small studies or tests or pilots, but across seniors or across an elderly population, we have really yet to see what is going to drive the ROI and pay for value discussion around MTM because CMS has been more focused on process. Did you do it? Did you check this box? Did you check that box? Rather than outcomes so far. The issue has been that no one has directly correlated the service of providing medication therapy management to any particular population level outcome that may or may not be derived from it. Not not in a wholesale, here's how we're going to do this across the board way. There are pockets and there are small groups and there are individual health plans that have said, if we achieve this level of consultation, our adherence goes up or whatever those correlations, whatever they're trying to prove, I think that there's there have been attempts to do that. But at the end of the day, in order to really move the ship, this entire huge ship, we really need to, to get to a place where there are agreed upon standards to what defines an outcome and how it ties back to was it actually was this actually improved by performing medication therapy management. So this is really interesting. So you're basically saying that MTM, it's kind of going on at a baseline level, maybe. But the reason that it hasn't become widespread or optimally used or whatever the terminology is for baked into everybody's day-to-day life is because no one at the plan level can really see what the benefit is. So they're kind of like, well, why should we do this if it's not really helping us achieve our goals? Well, why should we do it and pay for it? Because they not only do they have to do it, they have to pay for it. We're in an environment where CMS hasn't really said, you will get to this level or we will do something, something, something. They have done that to a small degree. Just to clarify, so they haven't really set up consequences for not doing it? Not, well, they're starting to a little bit. And, and really only in the within the kind of corridor of, did you perform a comprehensive medication review on a certain percentage of your patients? So if you do the math here, let's just kind of walk back on the math. Let's say you have a health plan and you have 10,000 members in your health plan. All 10,000 members, they're run through a series of rules that at the end of the day, qualify them to get an MTM service or don't qualify them. And, and that those rules have to do with their how much they're spending on drugs, the, the categories of drugs that they're on, and so forth. So there's a series of, of sort of rules. And only today, about 12 to maybe 15% of those 10,000 members qualify under today's rules. 
So what is that? 1,500 people. Of that, you've got to technically to get a perfect score from a quality perspective, you've got to do as many of those as possible of those 1,500. And let's say most people are in the 50% range. And so that would mean 750 people would get them an average rating around that. So 750 people out of 10,000 gets you an average rating, um, <laughs> you know, from, an, from a CMS MTM perspective and says nothing about the quality or the outcome of those face-to-face or telephonic consultations. All it says is we did one of these and we filled out a form that CMS specifies to fill out in, in the proper way. So it's a really small percentage of the total population that is actually getting these. And this adds up to the your, your star rating. So yes. comprehensive medication review is one of those star ratings. So basically right. what you just described is this is what you have to do relative to MTM to get an adequate score on that one particular star rating. Right. Correct. Yep. And why are we seeing this resurgence of interest in MTM? About two years ago, CMS put out a, a directive or a pilot program to allow p- plans who applied and met certain criteria on the, the drug plan only side, not the MA side, but the plans that only provide prescription drug benefits and not medical benefits, the opportunity to design their own MTM program, use their own criteria, and just kind of experiment a little bit to see whether or not their efforts could actually achieve medical cost offsets or savings. And the interesting thing about that is that these savings would accrue to traditional Medicare. So if they if a patient only has the drug benefit, then they're getting their medical benefit from traditional Medicare, not Medicare Advantage. So CMS sort of set up this pilot innovation uh, through the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation to test various ways to take away some of the, you know, the way plans have been hamstrung and how they have to design their programs to really test what would work and what may not work. And we're sort of in the middle of of that program right now. And TBD, I guess, is all I can say about what may or may not come out of there. But that did signal, I think, to a lot of people, including me, the notion that, okay, what could come out of this is just a new way forward. So if it was going to mitigate medical spend on the Medicare side, it it could very well do that on the Medicare Advantage side and, and, and just for health in general. So I think that we're just kind of waiting to see that. The other signal that's coming out of CMS is a, an increased focus on medication therapy management, compliance, and audits. So more plans are getting audited for their process. And are they doing it right? Are they qualifying the right number of people? Are the records being handled appropriately, et cetera, et cetera? And it's generally thought that once CMS gets through with sort of checking off the box, yes, the program is being run correctly, they are will turn their attention to a more outcomes-based approach where they're going to be kind of inserting maybe some common ways of measuring outcomes that have yet to be agreed upon. 
it sounds like CMS has got a two-prong approach here. One, which is the latter that you mentioned, they're auditing more people, auditing more plans. Are you actually doing this according to the, and sounds like minimal, <laughs> guidelines that we have set up? Yeah, let me just say, Stacey, that the process is not minimal. Got it. Yeah. The, the, the qualification criteria are not that robust, but the yes, the very onerous rules. Understood. Okay. I understand now. So it, it's a little bit loose, maybe what is actually going on with the patient, but all yes. of the logistics around that are, yes. which is kind of the opposite maybe of if you're trying to prove that there is some sort of definitive outcome, it's like the opposite would need to be true. So exactly. Yeah. Okay. So CMS's two-prong approach. One of them is let's audit more people. The other part of it seems to be that they're almost allowing, was it med D plans that you said? Drug only plans? Drug only plans. Oh, and only if you apply and get accepted and there's a finite number of, and I, I can look at what that number is, but it's 15 maybe. I, I Don't quote me, but something like that. Plans. So a small number of small number. Yeah. of drug only plans who are qualified, and it sounds like they're almost running their own. I would hesitate to call it a clinical trial, an RCT, but at a, at a minimum, they're they're qualified to run continuous improvement initiatives or something, and they're going to be tasked to then measure the results. And then yeah. CMS is planning to use whatever they come up with. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's it's. We'll see what comes out of it and whether or not CMS is convinced that those type those types of approaches have a broad, more broad-based use. I think we really don't know yet. What's interesting to me about this whole thing, or, or maybe just confusing, <laughs> which sometimes they're the same thing, is, you know, for example, on this podcast over the past two weeks, I had two guests on who have some pretty sophisticated ways to improve adherence that involves yeah. educators and gamification and there's all this technology backends. I mean, these are like all this behavioral science is involved relative to understanding what the underlying imperatives are for someone to become adherent or, or why they're not. It just seems when I hear on one hand, pharmacists ch having a, I am completely exaggerating for the purposes of clarity, but like on one side, you've got have the pharmacists have chats with patients. And then on the other side, you've got this kind of very robust model driven, um, you know, technology plus human augmented kind of sophisticated programs. It almost seems like why isn't CMS, are they thinking that, that this is a really good way to go scale and, you know, start small, just have pharmacists counsel because nothing for nothing, this is their expertise, but not really put a structure behind it per se or technology and then leave these more sophisticated efforts for a smaller part of the population that the plan decides to tackle by themselves? Like, how do these pieces fit together? It's a very interesting question. And it's this push-pull from CMS that is, we're not here to tell you what to do, but here's here's what we think. You know, it it's always this dynamic of creating a lot of structure, but really you're a private plan and you can do what you want, but you really can't do what you want. It's almost like its own language and its own culture. If you think about kind of a hand in glove where you've got a uh, the government and private health plans having this handshake around delivering this care 
to, at least in, in the Medicare Advantage PDP space, and there's always this push and pull between what CMS is mandating and what they're saying, you know, well, it's a free market, you're, you, you're your own plan, you can decide how best to do this, but you have to do this under these set of rules. So I think that there's that, and then there is this other unspoken, but really been there since day one, and that is the autonomy of the patient and the patient protection as the primacy of this is around patient protection. So if we're saying you've got to put all of these, you know, layers on these patients, then, you know, that takes the patient out of being in the role of deciding what's best for them. So that that's all the yin and yang. That's as much as I can describe around all of the various forces that are constantly in play in these discussions about what to do and what not to do. It's like the government has, or CMS is saying, all right, we're going to put all these rules in place. You do what you want. I mean, they're you kind, of, they're kind yeah. of putting their finger on the scale, though. Well, I think that there's freedom, but your, but your wrists are tied. <laughs> That's how this whole program is really, is really structured. So any plan could adopt any of these technological advances, and a lot of them have, you know, just to drive adherence, because adherence represents three very significantly highly weighted star ratings that if you don't do well on adherence to statin and and blood pressure and diabetes drugs, you will not land favorably in the land of, of star ratings. So there are a lot of additional resources, uh, including everything from the spectrum of face-to-face consultations with pharmacists, robocalls, IVRs, all the way to the type of technology and app-driven approaches that you, that I'm sure you've had described to you in, in these interviews. They can do that, but I haven't seen them come out and endorse a particular kind of approach, and I, I doubt that they would. If I am a pharmacy or a pharmacist, knowing everything that you just said, what's my role in this? Or is there an opportunity that I could take advantage of in order to actually get paid for helping my patients? Well, there, there absolutely is. It all comes down to if you, if you bucket, let's say, pharmacies into you're either part of a retail chain or you're an independent pharmacist. You'd have to answer that question in, in a couple of different ways. But let's just, for you, for the sake of your example, an independent pharmacist. And I'm in Wisconsin or Missouri or Oklahoma or someplace like that. There will be a health plan in that community where the majority of their patients or a certain subset of their patients come to my pharmacy. I'm going to want to be in touch with that health plan to create that sort of arrangement that can provide value to me and value to the health plan. That does happen. And if you take that example and you scale it all the way up to a national chain, those arrangements take place as well where you've got, I don't know, a certain footprint or overlap of Humana or Cygnus patients coming into a certain number of your pharmacies where you've got to drive adherence or do a CMR or give an immunization or do something else for that patient, that those arrangements do take place and they are reimbursed for by those health plans. If you can document those things back to the health plan. 
because I know you do a lot of work with health plans. Are the health plans looking for area pharmacists to come to them and say, hey, you know, we've put into place all of these capacities. We can deliver MTM and we're willing to fill out all the forms. So you should use us. The key to all of even having that discussion is are the analytics around who's going where and where people are getting their medications. Because you can set all of that up, but if that health plan, you know, if you're not in their network or if that health plan's patients, two of them are coming versus 200, there is not the ROI to do that for, for a couple of patients. You have to start with the roadmap of where people are going, where are the critical masses of people getting their prescriptions and align those activities around getting the most bang for your buck, whether you're the health plan or the pharmacy. Now, that's not to say you're not going to do those things at an individual level, but it becomes harder to make the case if you don't have the data. Basically, the first slide in the pitch should be, dear health plan, I have X thousand patients who are coming into my pharmacy. Well, yeah, or you know that, or you're Probably the entity that knows that the most is the PBM that sits in between the health plan and that pharmacy. The plot thickens. <laughs> yes, that is where the secret sauce, I guess, at least some of the ingredients for the secret sauce, the PBM knows exactly who's going where, how often, what drugs, what doctors. Yeah, just pretty much the whole shebang. Are the PBMs then going to these plans and saying, we'll sell you this data so that you know which pharmacies are the ones dispensing for the majority or the most or a significant percentage of your patients so that you, you guys can work together? Like, are they kind of brokering that exchange? It does happen. This is where this, this whole dynamic, you know, this is kind of like my bread and butter, but the, the, the dynamic is so interesting because, yes, the answer to your question is there are those capabilities. Those capabilities are being either sold or provided based on other services or other groupings of services. But yes, or the, the health plan can be going to their PBM and saying, I want to see this information. These are my patients, you know, these are my I'm paying for these drugs. These are my patients. So yeah, there's there's a, a lot of dynamic, but there's also, I think, a lot of untapped potential in those dynamics to get more granular around. I always say in a world of limited resources, there's, there's not a, an unlimited amount of money or reimbursement to go around. So you really, you know, you want to target your efforts where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Yeah, for sure. If we're talking about untapped potential for plans or pharmacists, is there anything that is, is more specific that you're thinking of there? The list of quality measures is out there. I believe the updated ones for 2018 were just put out there in the last couple of days. I haven't even had a chance to look at them yet, but the five or six on there that are causing your health plan the most pain that you want to improve are the ones and the ones that retail pharmacy can potentially impact is, is ripe for that discussion. It could be anything related to adherence. It could be completion rates for MTM. It could be some non-traditional types of things, like as far as I think the Part D world is concerned, like immunizations, that retail pharmacy performs pretty much, I think, the bulk of immunizations that take place in the country today occur in a retail pharmacy, certainly around flu. There's a lot of things that 
you have to get into the weeds. You have to look at where are my pain points and where can this retail pharmacy or this chain help me achieve, you know, close these gaps. But those meetings are transpiring. Like I said, you, you do a lot of work with health plans. I mean, they're taking meetings with pharmacy chains and they're talking this stuff through. They are. They are. So it's just a matter of really, but I would say what's it's it's a little bit harder for the medium size and smaller plans to get this traction. And they don't typically think of approaching it in this way. So this is where I think there's opportunity. And when you say they don't typically think about approaching it in this way, you're saying they don't typically think about making it a collaborative endeavor. Like they're just sitting in their offices trying to figure out how to do it themselves. Yeah. Or there are other vendors and, and really missing the boat on where retail pharmacy can help them here. Those smaller plans are using solutions like aforementioned, you know, like they're going off of the healthcare stakeholders, say, roadmap and, and into a specialty vendor who says, I'm going to improve adherence. Or solve all your problems. And solve all your or problems. Or they're doing it all in-house, which is also impossible. Obviously, pharmaceutical companies are you know, you mentioned PBM as one plot thickening complication. But, you know, pharma companies also have a vested interest in this. H how should they be thinking about MTM or what's going on with these star ratings? So I, I just have always found it really interesting. I, I think how pharma companies tend to really not engage as much in this space as I would see opportunity for. And, and there's probably a lot of reasons for that. I, I'm sure health plans keep pharma at a healthy distance. I'm sure there's a lot of dynamics there. But when you get to something like MTM, the vast majority of MTM services and comprehensive med reviews are performed remotely. They're not even performed face-to-face. -face. You've got someone on the phone with a senior, with a med list in front of them, having a conversation, there's always the question, you know, everybody will say pharmacists are trained to do this and then they are and they have, you know, the qualifications and they do. But think about every new drug, every new class, every new comparison across classes, uh, every new novel use of a drug. There is, a, I think, a tremendous need to constantly upgrade the skills beyond a continuing education kind of a mandatory thing for pharmacists to really, in my health plan, I've got these patients with these illnesses and I need to know more about these diseases that are afflicting my patients because either, these are the sickest of the sick that are landing in the position to be able to even receive a comprehensive med review. The 1,500 patients are your sickest of the sick. Why wouldn't we create additional tools and training around where healthcare and new treatments are emerging? And I think that's a tremendous opportunity for pharma companies in an unbranded way. Oh, in unbranded, because I was thinking you were going to say branded because they would be giving information about their own particular product. I think unbranded opens more doors than branded in this environment. So to get in the door, to be able to just move the conversation along, to have people well-versed in what they need to know, uh, you know, I think we'll go farther. I'm not saying there's not an opportunity for an occasional branded discussion about a drug under certain circumstances, but for MTM on a wholesale level, I, I think success lies more on the unbranded side. As usual, it has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Lisa. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It went so fast, Stacey.
Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.